Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. Today, I want to think with you about the marvel and complexity that is you, and me for that matter. What I'm thinking of is the splendor and the uniqueness that make us all that we are, and that make us all so different from, say, a simple earthworm. As we find our way in life and we muse about the grand capacities of what it means to be human, we often look for where our lives can anchor, on what hook of meaning or on what coat hanger of security can we hang our lives. Well, as it turns out, the prophet Isaiah, in a passage where he is the actual mouthpiece of God, he tells the nation of Israel that they are, in fact, the Lord's. They are precious and they are loved. And the words that the prophet speaks that day to the people of Israel, they're essentially the same words as the ones that boom from heaven in a voice that overwhelms the baptism of our Lord Jesus in the New Testament. As Jesus climbs out of the muddy Jordan River from his baptism, there's this voice that says, you're mine, you're precious, and you're loved. So I'm going to read to you a passage from the 43rd chapter of the prophet Isaiah. And it reads like this, the first verse. 
Now, thus says the Lord, the one who created you, O Jacob, the one who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name, for you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned, and the flame will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Why? Because you're precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. So in preparation for my message today, I want you to think about one other feature that the prophet Isaiah mentions here, and that has to do with your name. If somebody mispronounces your name, it feels a little foolish, doesn't it? Or you may feel a little foolish. If someone forgets your name, it's possible that you yourself could feel forgotten. There's something embarrassing when we don't know someone else's name that we should know. And it's also hard to imagine ourselves with any other name than the one we have. So as you hear this message, think about your name the Lord knowing that name personally, and above all else, you having a place or a home in the heart of God. Why? Because you're precious, and you're loved, and you are known by your name. So take a listen, if you will. It was back in the early 2000s that the Human Genome Project was in the news. This was that massive, massive effort by scientists to conduct the sort of first-ever survey or mapping of human DNA. That chemical inside the nucleus of a cell that carries the, the genetic blueprint of our human lives. At the time, researchers made a pretty remarkable discovery, but it was one that caused a lot of consternation in the general public. What they found was that this complex organism that we know to be a human being has only slightly more genes than a common earthworm. The previous assumptions were that there were tens or even hundreds of thousands of genes that had to have accounted for the complexity of what it means to be human. But no, that's not the case at all. Our our, our DNA is just not all that much more complicated than an earthworm. Well, this news created a lot of as I say, consternation. People got apoplectic. There was a lot of anxiety in the general public. Your self-esteem is going to plummet if you think you're akin to an earthworm, I suppose. Francis Collins is the one who headed up this uh, project. I interviewed him at the time for a radio program I was a part of, uh, and I found him then, as I still do today, a man of enormous intellect, a brilliant soul, Very ambitious, highly energetic, but so unbelievably uh, gentle-minded. He just retired last week as the director of NIH, the National Institute of Health. 
Well, he summarized at the time the shock of this discovery from this human genome mapping project. He said, on one level, it's a huge blow to the pride of our species. How can we hold our heads up high any longer if we have only a few more genes than a common earthworm? But then he made this really interesting comment. And you need to know that Collins is a devout Christian. He's very explicit about his faith. He carries it very comfortably. He's he speaks out about the importance of truth. And he's relentlessly committed to the common good. He said, what all of this research tells me is that our beauty and our complexity must arise from some other source. And this is something we're going to want to be thinking about. Well, as a government official, he's not going to pull out a Bible, but he knew it well enough that he could have. He's not going to pull out a Bible to make a point. But had he opened the Old Testament, and had he turned to the 43rd chapter of this prophet Isaiah, he could have started reading right then and there, as you just heard moments ago, about some of the marvel, some of the uniqueness, some of the complexity, some of the capacity that we enjoy as human beings. And what we find rolling off the tongue of Isaiah, words to this nation of Israel that's been beat up. It's a very defeated uh, point in its history. They must have their own low self-esteem. But the prophet speaks of the Lord's pride in creating us and in caring for us and in keeping us. Oh, Israel, I have made you. I've redeemed you. I've saved you. I've called you by name. And you are mine. The prophet goes on to speak the Lord's words. You don't have to have any fright. Because when you're in over your head, and when the waters are overwhelming you, not if, but when the waters are overwhelming you, and when you're between a rock and a hard place, I'm there for you, and I'm there with you. For you are precious in my sight, and I love you. This is not strange language to you. You know this language. It's what parents speak to kids when they want to console their kids. It's what you may have had spoken to you when your parents were consoling you because you were hurting or you were frustrated or you were disappointed. And I don't just mean little kids, but I mean when kids are in college and our kids are grown and way out of college and there still are those phone calls that happen Honey, it's going to be all right. Mom and I, we still love you to pieces. You're going to get through this just fine. Try not to let it get the best of you. It's the language of the prophet Isaiah. These words are not strange to you. They're practically identical to what happened when Jesus was baptized. You can read any of the gospel accounts. It's pretty much the same thing. When Jesus was baptized... The heavens opened up, and there's this booming voice. It doesn't say booming voice, but it couldn't have been a wimpy voice. There's this voice that says, you're my son, you are precious in my sight, and I love you. 
Now, I want you to notice a detail within the words of the Lord here in Isaiah. I have called you by name, the Lord says, which means the people of Israel, they're not anonymous to God any more than we are anonymous to God. We have a name. It's distinctive. It is, in fact, part of our identity. Some days, it is our identity. When the Nazis wanted to eradicate identity, when they wanted to eradicate dignity, they stripped you of your name and they tattooed a six-digit number into your forearm. And so Peter would become 654921. When the great Maya Angelou was teaching one time at Wake Forest University, it was a class on poetry, surprise, she uh, spent a good deal of the first class session with the students, asking each of them to introduce themselves, to pronounce and then spell their name. Well, she did this for the second class and then for the third session of these same students. After the third time, she asked the classroom, why did I just spend 20% of our valuable class time making sure that you knew each other's names? The room was silent, as the story is told at least, probably because the students were intimidated just being in the presence of Maya Angelou. But also she was asking a rhetorical question. So she broke the silence and she said, I asked you to do this because your name is a sign of your own dignity. And when you recognize someone else's name, you're recognizing them not just as being a human being, but as a person. A great way to bestow dignity upon another human being is to call them by name. As you know, part of the slave experience in America was to strip you of your name and just give you one name. It was a way to enforce control. It was a way to enforce anonymity. It's much easier to whip a thing than it is to whip a person, right? Well, maybe you know the story or maybe not know the story of Sojourner Truth, one of the great 19th century abolitionists, and how she got her name My name was Isabella, she once said, the name that was given to her. But when I left the house of bondage, that's when she escaped from her slaveholder in upstate New York in the 1820s. When I left the house of bondage, I wasn't going to keep nothing of Egypt on me. And so I went to the Lord, and I asked the Lord to give me a new name. And the Lord gave me sojourner, because I was to travel up and down the land showing the people their sins and being a sign unto them. And afterwards, I told the Lord I wanted another name because everybody else had two names. And the Lord gave me truth. For sojourner truth, that name was a sign of her dignity, her liberty, her freedom from bondage. The Lord says to us today and to the people of Israel, I have called you by name. You're precious in my sight. 
and I love you. A couple of months ago, I was reading uh, for the first time about the Supreme Court case of Hamilton versus Alabama. There was a woman born in Cedar Rapids who in 1963 was 28 years old, Mary Hamilton, a black woman. She was in the South in 1963, June. She was one of the Freedom Riders for part of the Freedom Rides. And in Gadsden, Alabama, she was participating in a, in a, uh, a peaceful protest. Well, like the other protesters, she was arrested, and she's appearing in court, and she's called to the witness stand. Prosecutor, what is your name, please? Witness, Miss Mary Hamilton. Mary, who were you arrested by? My name is Miss Mary Hamilton. Please address me correctly. Who were you arrested by, Mary? I will not answer a question until I am addressed correctly. Answer the question. I will not answer them unless I am addressed correctly. You are in contempt of court. So without any trial, any opportunity, they hauled her off to jail where she spent five days, was required to pay a fine, endure threats, intimidation, and abuse as they tried to break her. Like Sojourner Truth, she had two names. Miss Mary Hamilton. And you have to realize, back in the 1960s, the early 60s, prosecutors and judges then, they addressed all white witnesses, all white individuals, all white defendants with the courtesy title or with a surname. But if you were black, it wasn't Mrs. Smith or Reverend Marty or Mr. Schrader. The Alabama Supreme Court refused to take up the case and deferred to the judge. It went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, Hamilton versus Alabama, where the Supreme Court overturned the contempt charge on the 14th Amendment equal protection stuff. And it's a ruling that still governs our courtrooms today. Everybody is addressed with their full name and with the appropriate courtesy title. I have called you by name. You are precious in my sight, and I love you. You know, if ever you want to give someone a really precious gift that doesn't cost any money whatsoever, just figure out a way to help them feel a sense of belonging. A really special gift. It doesn't cost anything. Help them know that they have a place in someone else's heart and that they are, in fact, loved. Whether this happens in a school, in your workplace, in the neighborhood, with someone in the hospitality industry who is serving you, help them feel a place of belonging, that they have a home in someone else's heart, quite possibly your own heart, and that they are loved. This is why we get baptized. It's a big part of the reason why we get, get baptized. Not just to have the power of sin as the organizing principle of our lives sort of washed away. We get baptized to be told point blank with our name getting used that we matter to God. We have a place in the heart of God 
and that we are loved by God. We, we, we get baptized with our full name, Haley, child of God. Or we could say Haley Ann, child of God. I remind you of the significance of your baptism because when you are tempted to define yourselves by what you have or by what you do or by where you are in your life, try to imagine what it's like or would be like when you do not have anything and you do not feel like anybody and you do not know where you are or where you want to be with your life. And then recall that name of yours and that love that you've been given and that, that place that you have in the heart of God and then you have all that you need. You have all that you need to let loose more love for this world, for other people, and for God. Amen.
Join me in prayer, if you will, as we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.